0: Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. We are packed as we head into the weekend. We talk about this new variant. How concerning should it be? Well, on this end, anyway, our show, there's no panic, there's no alarm, but we do need to find out a lot more about it, no question. So we talk about the need, the potential need, to close off travel to and from South Africa. Is that going to happen over the weekend? We'll discuss it. We might be right. We might be wrong. It's time sensitive, but we got to talk about it. John Taylor from Duran Duran on the show. That's a big one for us. We've been hunting down him for quite a while. The new Duran album is Future Past. And he tells us there's a late August, September stay, maybe one show, maybe two in Toronto. Probably at Bud Stage, if you're asking. I'm just guessing throwing spitballs out there. Ryan Imgren on the show. Erica Eiffel on the show. Two of our favorites for uh, for very different reasons. And much, much more. It's the Toronto Today podcast. We're so glad you're with us. And it starts now. Where we are right now with what's going to be a pretty big story today with uh, a newly discovered variant. Let me set the table, and then I want to play some audio on uh, God Bless Good Morning Britain. God Bless Good Morning Britain. The show Piers Morgan used to be on because they're brilliant putting video clips up. We're like, like, who are we calling? Who, who do I want to wake up on the last Friday of November? And doctors are up. They will get up. But you can imagine tougher to get live guests at six o'clock. But I, I found two brilliant pieces of audio that I think summarize and crystallize where we should be. And that's taking a middle ground approach here. Being ready, being understanding that this was always going to transpire. And uh, this shouldn't be treated like you're seeing flying saucers in the sky and Martians are going to come down. Some people are going to do that. Some people are going to do that about this particular new variant. And there's nothing we can do about it but try and drown them out. There's nothing we can do. And you know, you know what I say about this. There's some people that want out of this hellscape in a in a huge hurry. Some of the people that have, you know, waning time with kids at home. That's the biggest thing I point at. Well, what's your what's your rush? Well, my rush, honestly, honestly, is is my kids, my kids being home, you know, another two and a half years and then maybe another four and a half years and then boom, grown up, gone off to college. Um, So I want uh, normalcy as much as possible with them within the design and the and the spec and the understanding that um, what we do has a certain element of risk to it all the time, all the time we take risks in life and we forget that. We forget some people have forgotten that we do that. And then there's the people, and I know they exist, that are just are just absolutely cool with this carrying on. And I don't understand that, and you don't understand that, but you know it's true. You know it's true. There's people that won't mind another lockdown. They'll order their food and they'll order their groceries and they won't lose a penny. And they'll make. And the pressure goes on healthcare workers and the pressure goes on essential workers and the pressure goes on Amazon warehouses again and people that deliver food. And they're so cool staying home, kicking around in their slippers and their bathrobe and all that stuff. And so this new um, mutation news doesn't hit them like it hits the vast majority of us the vast majority of us. So here's where things are at with this particular story. Uh, There is a new variant emerging from South Africa. Countries are shutting down borders over this variant. Singapore did. Japan did. The United Kingdom did. And they put in strict quarantine measures. They've banned flights from South Africa. South Africa is the only country that this new COVID variant is is founded in. And again, You can you can say whatever you want about what I'm saying and you can disagree about this. You can agree with that. I get it. I understand it. That's part of the gig. That's part of the job. When I when I said, let's do this job, let's do this show a certain way. Let's not just repeat public health talking points. Let's ask important questions. Let's report, not repeat. Big difference. Brian Stelter pointed that on CNN a month ago. Are you repeating or are you reporting? So you got to dig a little bit deeper sometimes. You just do. The European Union is going to think about banning flights from the region across the whole block. I bet they do that today. And I bet you, by the end of the weekend, if I'm wrong Monday, uh, yeah, you, you can bring the knives out for me, but I'm going to bring the knives out for the federal government. I bet you, by the end of the weekend, Canada has banned flights from South Africa. I bet you that that, that ends up happening. What, now, is that, a, is that the panic, or is that proper understanding of protocol and proper delineation of avoiding a bad situation well to me it's the latter that's not panicked that's not some panic situation to ban travel look we did this we did this 20 months ago and we overthought it and we waited and we waited and we were like oh i don't know i don't know should we ban flights from china what should we do how will people feel about this will that be seen as racist or xenoph? it's too late it's too late. What about this? And, and what if people are coming back from other countries and all these people, we let these people go on spring break and it, it's too late when they get back. You can't keep Canadians. You can't make them wait down in another country. We started to do that in the late going. Do you remember that in late March, early April? There were Canadians stranded. We're not letting you back in. You're coming in from a hot spot. Stay there. Work with our embassy. Work with our consulate. They'll make sure you don't run out of money, but you're not coming back yet and uh, scientists still have so much to learn about this particular variant are there concerns it might be the quote-unquote worst yet i've seen that i've seen that i've also seen scientists say you know stop stop the concern about this we have to obviously investigate it there has to be speculation look to me this is the way i look at it and i thought about this driving in and and again you feel free to weigh in text me at 289-975-1640 289-975-1640. 289-975-1640. Two eight nine nine seven five one six four zero. Two eight nine nine seven five one six forty. It's a little like buying extra life insurance, but if you told your neighbors, "Well, I just took out more life insurance on myself," they're like, "What? What? What is it? Are you? Did you find something out? Are you gonna? Are you gonna die? What's going?" on? they're not gonna ask those personal questions. But this is macro, not micro. You put more. You're put more uh, insurance on your home. You, that doesn't mean you're about to get broken into. You end up putting a lot more insurance on your car. You buy a nice car, you put more car insurance on it. Everything under the sun. You know how you reject certain things when you sign up for car insurance? Well, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want this much coverage. That You don't assume it's going to be stolen. You don't assume people are going to break into your car three times a week. You're just doing it as a precaution. You want to put your mind at ease. Guarante- like There's very few guaranteed things in life but you want to make sure you take preventative measures. Dr. Susan Hopkins was on Good Morning Britain this morning, and she says the concept is get more information, but a, but a travel ban, again, Canada's going to do this before the end of the weekend. I'm telling you this now, okay? I'm not, I'm not speculating. I'm not reporting that it's happening. This is my opinion. They'll do that. And there's not much you'll be able to do to sway me from it. They will be on this because you can't afford not to be. But Dr. Susan Hopkins says the concept is delay and slow here. This is not a panic move.
1: I think the measures that we take on borders are there to delay, to slow, to allow us to have time to gain more information. At the moment, South Africa have been really uh, honest and open and transparent about their data. And their scientists are doing a really good job in finding out more about this new variant However, we don't know yet whether it's more transmissible, we don't know about how much it'll evade the immune system, but all signals that are on the mutations that we've seen on this variant suggest that it could evade the immune response, uh, both from a vaccine and from prior immunity, Uh, it could be more transmissible, Um, it uh, could be more infectious.
0: Yeah, it could be. All of these things could could end up happening. They dis- they detected discovered the variant two days ago. Have there been flights come in since then? Probably so. I don't know how many flights land from South Africa in uh, at Pearson Airport on a daily basis. I bet you it's not three would be the max to me um, when you spread it out over time and realize flights aren't coming in at all hours of the morning, per se. There's a there's a set schedule that probably would be on on a daily basis. But honestly, that like if you're and the other thing is to me, if you're not going to slow down the supply chain, if you're not going to do anything to regulate that. And if we don't do this in concert, in essence, with the United States, we are asking for some degree of trouble. And listen, I've talked about the emotion and the practicality of covid a couple different times. There's what makes people emotional, like, you know, getting your kids vaccinated. If that gets if that gives you positive emotion. Fantastic to me. Is is that is there as much impact on hospitalizations and deaths if you get your six year, your healthy six year old vaccinated compared to if um, if your 58 year old uncle gets a booster? No, the booster is more important. But that but I'm not trying to talk parent out of being confident. Confidence is great. I acquired it in the summer. Once my kids got vaccinated, we went here, we went there, we went everywhere. There's nothing we wouldn't do. There's nothing we wouldn't do right now. I can't think of a thing. And at the same time, we understand that not everybody is is there where we are uh, right now. A uh, professor, Debbie Schreeder, is part of the uh, chair of Gold Global Public Health at Edinburgh University in Scotland, and she makes the point that something like this is to be expected. Of course it is.
2: As long as the virus has a chance to circulate somewhere in the world, it is going to keep having mutations. And at some point, one of those mutations will have a selective advantage, being more transmissible, as we've saw with Alpha and Delta, or being able to kind of transmit among people who are fully vaccinated and make the ill, which we have hopefully it won't happen with this one. But that's what we're worried about. So I think it's to be expected. People shouldn't be worried. We will continue to hear about variants. WHO is having a meeting today among experts to determine, is this a variant of concern what are the recommendations to governments? But I think you're going to see many countries going the with of Britain saying, we're not going to watch and wait like we've done in the past. We're on track right now. We have a booster campaign that's being successful. So why don't we actually just hold the progress we have and actually shut down travel, limit travel to those places where it could be imported from?
0: That's it. That's all that's going to happen. That's well put right there. And let me bring up this as we, uh, as we head to break. Here's a headline from January, rather February 19th of this year. COVID-19 variant found in U.K. Spreads like wildfire. British experts fear what will happen if U.S. won't lock down. But it was the U.K. variant, the alpha variant. It wasn't the delta variant. Here's the here's the first paragraph. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson made yet another somber coronavirus related address to the nation. A variant first identified in Kent, England, was thought to be 50 to 70 percent more infectious. In little more than a week, hospital admissions had increased by nearly a third. Deaths had risen risen by 20 percent you don't talk about alpha very much. You don't talk about the UK variant very much because something came along that was more transmissible and more concerning. And this thing kind of flopped. It kind of died out. It didn't have a lot of steam to it. I bet you we close our airports. I bet you we protect our borders. If I'm wrong, I'll tell you so on Monday. I got it wrong. But, but I blame the Canadian government for not acting proactively. Be on top of this. We know what we're doing now. There's no reason to spread panic. But this is like, again, buying that extra layer of insurance. Insulate yourself, okay? We're able to do this. You're hearing Anniversary from the new album Future Past. They've had so many hits, it's frightening. At one point, the biggest pop band on the planet, biggest rock band on the planet. They've had their splits, they've had their ups, their downs. Joining me now to discuss all that from mega group Duran Duran with the new album future past and maybe a Toronto concert coming up. We're going to get to that in a little bit is John Taylor. Congratulations on the album. Um, it's a, a long time in the making COVID slightly delaying this. It feels like, do I have that about right? Yeah.
3: I mean, I'm very, uh, I'm very pleased with the album actually. And, um, you know, I'm been, and I've been very happy to talk about it. You know, we've got some, uh, fantastic collaborators on it and and I, I feel it's a very uh you know very complete Duran Duran um experience you know we've uh we've worked with a lot of different producers over the last 20 years we've gone in a lot of different directions I feel this new album is what is really captures the essence of of, of what the band is about you know because we we got the inspiration and and then we get stuck in the weeds and then everybody then, you know, it, it just takes time. I, I can pin, uh, I could pin an extra 12 months on thanks to the, I could, I could blame the pandemic for, for three and a half years as opposed to two and a half years. <laughs> but actually, I think the pandemic brought a, uh, actually brought a quality to the sort of the final round of work. Uh, that made the album a whole lot better um than the album that we would have uh released had we released it last year i think i think it turned out to be a, a whole lot better because of you know the emotional experience really of mm-hmm. uh of, of last year
0: um so john taylor's joining us of course from the legendary duran duran the new album is called future past i want to ask you about a few of those tracks um the new tracks i saw you do invisible on an award show a couple years ago and it's great anniversary is great um but you bring up something that's really interesting when did it shift to where we know what a treadmill you guys were on you you documented it in your book you guys have all talked about it what a treadmill you're on until live Aid then you recoup uh, in, in 86, um, you know, with a different core. When did it sort of shift, John, from where you could call your own shots as to when something gets released or who you... Because even when you have this triumphant, incredible return um, with the wedding album, I'm sure there were record company guys that mm-hmm. were like, let's go, let's go, more, more, tour, tour, another album, follow that up. When did it shift to where you could kind of call all your own shots?
3: Well, I think there's that, there's that period out of the out of the box as it were the beginning period where really you'd you're just game you know everybody's nobody's got a life all you want to do is play and be in a band and you know and if you're lucky you've got an organization around you that that know what they're doing and and care about you and you know and I was really happy to roll with that for about four years I guess you know and it was very intense but we got so much done you know and then I would say You know, and and, and then, you, you know, almost reflexively, you want to take control. I think you see it happening with almost every artist, you know, and and it's almost that period where you really you don't appreciate that what you just went through was something really, really extraordinary. And now, you know, we have total control. But, you know, it takes us four years to put an album out. Just be sure to make the right album. And I always felt looking back, it was like the worst, the worst advice you can give anybody, you know, because and I wanted to call the album the right album, you know, because it's like, what's the right album? You know, you know, sometimes the right album is the one where you go, okay, we're done. You know, and I think that, you know, particularly like technology, you get in the studio, there's so many thousands of ways of of doing things that that, you know, making that decision to stop you know, becomes almost like the most important decision on the project.
0: Now, I remember seeing, I watched it a bunch of times because it kind of it kind of started getting in our, uh, on our televisions all the time when the pandemic hit. So I, I've watched, um, there's something you should know a few times, right? The mm. talk from a few years ago. I yeah. love something you said, where we said, we all did our different things. We all know what we do best. We've tried working with other people. It had its huge, huge highs and huge upswings, but we know what we do best. And Simon said something that I thought was really profound and it's probably hit all of us during the pandemic. It's like the first time that it, it happens that you sort of, you drop a little bit and it's not what it once was. It's pretty scary because you just think everything is going to go on for, and you, you're such a musicologist. You probably thought about bands and acts and you're like, what happened to them? Why did, why did that only go two albums? Why did that only last seven years? And, but then you just relax a little bit. It's not easy. It's like what we've done the last 20 months. It's like, whatever whatever bad happens um it's there's nothing i can do about it now all i can do is focus on the future and your group seems to have done that so well the last god 15 20 years you've just you've just had tunnel vision about what's to come not what was in the rearview mirror
3: we have this uh, inbuilt survival mechanism you know and you know and 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 there's a level of respect that we have for each other you know and sometimes we don't like each other and sometimes we don't like you know, I mean, I, I hate like confrontation, but sometimes it's necessary. And particularly, uh, you know, in the creative process and working with other musicians was super important for me mm-hmm. because I, I just realized, you know, I mean, you know, and you, one can even say this about life. I mean, we all find ourselves in circumstances, and we're like, you know, maybe there's a better, you know, maybe there's something better out there for me. I, I've come to see that, you know, whatever problems. You know, I'm dealing with on a daily basis. I can, you know, I can blow it all up and and move to Nevada, but I'm just mm-hmm. going to be faced with a, a whole different sense of set of problems. You know, so I might as well deal with these problems. You know, I was. You know, I was traveling around, you know, with a band. It had my name on it, you know, and there was something to be said from it. But then I just thought I'm, I'm having to go through the same rigmarole, the same BS with these guys. I might as well be doing it on an arena level and doing it, with, with you know, with, with those guys. You know, we do, you know, chemistry, you know, it's 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 something, you know, we are so fortunate. You know, I mean, I started bass by default. I mean, I was never, you know, I was never a musician as a young man, you know, as an adolescent, I picked up a guitar because I wanted to get into the punk rock revolution. I mean, it was everything was going off. You know, there was this explosion in, in, in England in 1976 when I was 16. And like every kid my age wanted to play guitar. And none of us could play a note, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but it didn't matter. You know, we've we never been a, a, a group that has been about technique. I mean, none of us can read music. You know, yeah. we, we, it's more about, you know, it's more about fraternal respect, you know, that's almost what keeps us going. You know, it, it's, it's just this, this mutual understanding and this, you know, and this, you know, and just by sort of hanging together and, and put me in a room with, a, with, with any other bunch of musicians and trust me, I'll, I'll come over as being a, a mediocre musician, but with that band, I'm like amazing. You know, because I learned how to do my thing with those guys. You know, and I, I and we're all a bit like that. You know, mm-hmm.
0: John Taylor is our guest from Duran Duran. The new album is called Future Past. He's talking about it on Toronto Today. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Toronto maybe in the future for you guys next year in 2022 as well. You know, you did you sort of did your bass sort of force its way to the front of the lineup when it came to some of those songs and especially in the first fifteen seconds of songs. Oftentimes as you know, mm-hmm. you'll hear guitar, vocals will kick in, bass and drums. But like I'm running the other night and I'm and uh my own way comes on shuffle, right? From your debut. And I'm mm-hmm. like, the bass is right at right at the front. I wonder if you're sort of that that footballer that, you know, the ball had to be passed to him. He's wide. He, he knows what to do with it when he gets it. Did hold back the reins like that too. Do you, yeah. did, did it by design, did you know you were going into a band where the bass would be so prominent or did you just sort of push your way forward and get it there?
3: Well, you know, I just mentioned the punk rock thing, you know, that, that got us all reaching for, for guitars. And, you know, and punk rock was a very guitar-oriented music you know i mean like i you don't think of bass players you don't think of rhythm sections when you think about punk rock and you know for us we call that new wave you know mm. and new wave was groovy you know we always say well what defined new wave as something different from punk well new wave you could dance to it and it was a dance movement and w- music and we were listening to like Giorgio Moroder, who actually you know, we worked with on the new album, but we're yeah. listening to his music. We're listening to disco music. I mean, like, you know, I'm hearing disco music, and I'm thinking, wow, this has got the same energy as, as the Clash. You know, I mean, I, I mean, something in me like clicked when I heard, you know, La uh, you know, or like uh, Sylvester. This New York, this high energy disco music. Nick and Roger and I, we had maybe a year where we were working together on a daily basis and we, we we had about three different singers over that year mm-hmm. and and over that time we kind of evolved the style that we had going so be, by the time andy joined and then like two months later simon we already had the sound the architecture as i like to call it but we had the the sound of the band sort of mapped out and andy was like okay you know we need this sex pistols ACDC thing dropped on top. And then Simon kind of walks into this sound that's kind of already there.
0: It is the anniversary of the Band-Aid recording and something I don't think ah. I've ever heard you answer about. Everybody's been like, yeah, this happened and Bob was, you know, pressuring all of us to be there and here we come mm. and this and that. So, but what I've never heard you answer before is you're in the band, like you're you're playing. You're not just singing. You're not showing up to be a choir of 50 or to be, you know, with great deference, Paul Young, and sing a couple lines. You're playing bass, on, and and Phil Collins is playing. Now, my recollection is he's wearing, like, an Argyle vest, which he wore for three straight years. Um, but either way, <laughs> you're in the well, band. So you had, a, yeah. you had a bit of a different set of responsibilities that morning, and you had to know your stuff coming in, didn't you?
3: I'd already played. I'd gone over to mid-jewers, and I'd recorded the bass. What I was doing on in the... On the day of the band-aid, I was just miming. <laughs> and 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 I and I'd been like, you know, typically like, you know, out for I, I don't know what it was that motivated me. I'm like, I gotta get on this, you know, I've got to be on this. And um, you know, Bob put me in touch with Midge and uh, I just went over and and worked with him and just played the played the bass. Um I mean, yeah, I mean you mentioned Phil. I mean, quite honestly, watching Phil Collins on that day set up his own drum kit. Right. In the middle of the room and just like sit down, screw everything down and then start playing was one of the most exciting moments I've ever witnessed in music. He was incredible. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was an amazing, amazing, uh, amazing event to participate in.
0: So you and Andy didn't have to sneak off. Nick and Roger are like, "Where are you guys going? How come you get to be? You know, you're the hottest band in the world at the moment. How come you get to go and we don't?" They didn't say that to you.
3: You know, I just did it, man. You know, <laughs> just, I'm always out for myself.
0: A, a couple of minutes left. Tell, you, you mentioned a show coming up, and you're gonna play. Um, I see you're gonna play Hyde Park in London with uh, yep. with Nile Rogers. How? So we talked yeah. about the, you know, a slight delay to the album, but you were able to tweak and do some different things with it. The madness of of COVID. You got COVID early on, early days. Let me ask you first about that. Um, a full recovery that at that point in time, knowing what we didn't know that we know now, I'm sure a, a frightening period for you. Yeah.
3: Well, actually, I would say the opposite because it hadn't become uh, politicized and it wasn't as I mean, you know, airports were closing, you know, I mean, it, the news was closing in, but I wasn't. I wasn't scared of it and it just felt like it, it was like someone pulled the rug out from under me for a couple of days. Uh, I went to see a doctor day two, you know, he suggested I take hydrochloroquine, you know, by the time I got some, like five days later, I was over it mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, and I've, i felt pretty robust ever since to be perfectly honest. I mean, I, I mean, every time, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it's just really shaken shaken everything up hasn't it and um i mean i don't know i'm you know i, I i'm i'm good i mean I, I really didn't mind unpacking my suitcase for nine months last year um it was i mean i was in los angeles and um so you know on top of on top of the coronavirus you know we had all the black lives matter movement yeah. and you know and then we had the lead up to the election which quite honestly was the craziest political kind of situation i've ever been witness to i mean that i mean and you know what we do is we bring people together i mean i mean i felt myself you know i was thinking last year i was like man you know i've got to get back on stage you know we got a job to do you know because because you know i mean we all needed you know to come together we need to come together i mean my, i mean music is one of the few dumb things that sometimes it's like we dance together we sing together you know, it's like, and it doesn't matter. Maybe we vote for different guys, you know, maybe we feel differently about X, Y, and Z, but put us in a room and we, and music brings us together and we have to have those moments, you know? I mean, that last show in Toronto was incredible. I mean, it was, I mean, Toronto has always been, you know, one of those second homes for Duran Duran. I mean, from the, from the first, from the Elma combo in 81, you know, it's just one of those, it's been one of those cities that, You know, it takes itself seriously as like, you know, the the outpost, an outpost of of like cutting edge British music. You know, it's like it's like the first city in North America to get X, you know, you name it, you know, all these artists coming out of Britain. You know, it happens in Toronto and and, you know, Toronto has always been very, very special for us. That last concert was quite amazing, actually. And I remember it well. Um, And I'm very much looking forward to uh, to doing it again, you know, hopefully next summer.
0: Yeah, you guys were on the radio very early here. Human League was, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, Ultravox yeah. was, OMD was a lot of those bands. Any idea? I know we're tight for time. Any idea? Are we seeing you potentially in the spring? Are we seeing you later in the summer after the Hyde Park show? Uh, yeah. Our audience would lo- would love a hint. A hint. Yeah, a, mor- exactly. a morsel. I mean,
3: yeah, I think uh, you know what I've seen. It looks like uh, end of August, beginning of September. Okay. And uh, we're just, you know, we're, we're working to, uh, you know, <laughs> tie it all together. And <laughs> <laughs> screw it down.
0: <laughs> well, a great pleasure having you on, John. Congratulations on Future Past. It's it's wonderful to see you guys doing what you do best. Um, and uh, good luck with the gig next week. And thanks so much. Like you said, Toronto, you guys are special to Toronto. And, and it's great to hear Toronto's just as special to Duran Duran. Congratulations on the new record. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to have John Taylor on Toronto today. It was uh, great having John Taylor from Duran Duran on. This is his song, uh, their song, about five years ago, off the last album with Nile Rodgers, called uh, "Pressure Off." I've tried to interview Nile Rodgers. I uh, at three in two different countries at three different stations. I've interviewed some good musicians, big musicians. I've never got Nile Rodgers on. We got close once, and then he he wriggled off the hook. That guy's produced everybody. That guy. If you ran, nobody's universally popular in music. Nobody is. Everybody hates somebody. And nobody hates Nile Rodgers. He's brilliant. I bet our next guest likes Nile I don't want to put words in our mouth. That's a dangerous game to play. Erica Eiffel joins me on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Come on, Nile Rodgers. They make a bunch of uh, white English dudes from Birmingham sound funky. You got to give it Yo, to them.
4: Okay, so on the Duran Duran tip, okay? <laughs> no, no, no. I need to save it. I want to hear
0: it. I yes. see you. I hear you. Go ahead.
4: My, my favorite Duran Duran song ever was the theme song to you to a kill
0: oh i love you that's amazing that's a it's great thing to say
4: song. i still it's on my it's on my apple music i love it i i love a view to a kill like grace jones yeah that's what introduced me to grace jones and i i remember being a kid and being like who is that
0: wait and how like, old how old were you when you met grace you met grace I jones didn't,
4: i didn't meet her oh okay just I, getting like, introduced to her, her on screen, yeah. I was just like, "Who is that?" How yeah.
0: how how can there not be a reach out to get great uh, a reach out uh, to get Grace Jones on the Bad and Bitchy podcast? Who's help, help. who's doing your booking? She's around. She's seventy three. Is that too out of your demographic? She's seventy three. <laughs> get her on.
4: I don't think Grace Jones is out of anybody's demographic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. But she, um, you know, she, uh, yeah, she had that, that y- you weren't sure what to think at that age. Uh, and and at 13, seeing A View to a Kill in the theaters, you're like, that's a damn good villain. I don't know if you'd compare her to Tina Turner in the Mad Max movie, because they both came out the same summer. Oh, yes. Right? Yes! As uh, Auntie yes! something. I can't remember what her name was.
4: I, another um, great, great, great uh, theme song. One of my other favorite, like one of my favorite Tina Turner songs, is um, "We Don't Need Another Hero."
0: That one. That's right. One yeah. for the living is off. Also good off that uh, off that album as well. By the way, let me recommend uh, Erica's uh, uh, Twitter page, Wicked Chick. I honestly, it's like a roller coaster. Your Twitter's great. It's like a roller coaster without the without the stomach problems at the end. It's like <laughs> it's like riding the the Leviathan at Candace Wonderland. Uh, at Wicked Chick. Uh, spelled C H I Q. By the way, you tweet about the Canada USA soccer game. Like what? You you need a time? Like you're planning already for January thirtieth on a Sunday before the Super Bowl? Like like they'll give you a time. They're working okay. on it. Okay. You just you just said exactly why. What? I gotta get okay, so I gotta get the snacks right
4: and I have to get the timing right because if it's on the same day as the Super Bowl as you No it's not. To-
0: it's a week before a week before the Cowboys and the Bills are in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! I'm th- I think Ouch. that's still happening. Don't worry about yesterday; that Ouch. was a fluke. Ouch! That hurt. It's gonna happen. I. I it's <laughs> going. It's them or the Rams. The Bills. That's like saying. That's like saying like the Lions and the Jets are going to be in the. Team. Oh God! Nobody no, it's not would. That bad. Nobody would uh, would watch that. Um, you wrote in the Hill Times this week. When you write about the NDP, what kind of reaction do you get? I want to, I want people to go there, read your column on the NDP. Wh- wh- is there a how would I put it? Is there a platform? Is there a responsibility to you that the NDP is not performing or, at all, or not performing well?
4: I just don't think they're performing. Period. I think I think the Ontario NDP is similar too. They're, the NDP have a problem. And I don't know if they don't like success or they're not ambitious. I don't know what it is. But they seem to be happy to be in third place all the time without really doing anything and without really risking anything. And that's my problem with them. We're in a time right now where progressive ideas of sick days, for example. Imagine sick days being a progressive idea. That's a problem. Anyway.
0: Yeah, it it is. As opposed to just a basic human right, right? Like, like, I don't know, clean drinking water, right?
4: Exactly. And we've had so many of these basic labor rights just scale back over time that I don't, I don't think some of us realize how precarious some of its work is. Um, I'm not, the NDP had the balance of power in the last parliament. They did push the liberals a little left, especially when it came to income supports. Um, however, if you take Bill 21, they've been They've been disgustingly ineffective, and happily so. Um, if you if you take some of their their entire platform, kind of red like a liberal light, but like on a university protest flyer like you know what i mean
0: yeah you'll never What's get that? elected being liberal light it's not going to work it's and it's and, and because the right is more fri- it just is is more frightening to some than it was this isn't 1990 when bob ray could sneak up the middle and people yes, it's exactly. not it's it's politics exactly. has changed we're way more polarized than 1990
4: we are. i really do think that, that polarization though is underpinned by an economic polarization i think the the divergence in income and wealth has create has underpinned that polarization socially. So, in other words, the higher the income inequality, the more fractured your society is going to be.
0: Mm. Um, I want I want to give you lots of room uh, in our in our last Q and A to talk about the the Ahmad Arbery trial and the verdict. Without mm. with, here's what I what I worry about one. Without the video, we don't have the verdict. So we need to videotape every damn thing. and We need to whip out our phones yeah. every single damn time something mm-hmm. transpires. Do you oh, yeah. worry, Erica, about, about a light sentence? It is Georgia. Um, do you worry that it's one thing to I convict do. these three guys? Do you worry about a, a light That's sentence here?
4: That's the first thing that went through my mind. Um, the other thing, too, is these court cases are very political now. I mean, yeah. they were always political, but you know, we talked about Kyle Rittenhouse earlier this week, and that was that had a lot of political underpinning. If you think about, you know, if you think about the jury pool later on, I mean, when the president of the United States is telling you that the kid's innocent, that's a problem, right? Yeah, and 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 then you have people like Florida's um, DeSantis's um, press secretary taking a picture of him when he's at. So the point is, is that in Georgia, um, and it is Georgia, <clears throat> and we know we know what happens in Georgia. So I, I'm not celebrating just yet, and one doesn't cancel out the other. Just because you get a conviction in one doesn't mean that justice has been just rendered net, on net. You know what I
0: mean? No, it sure doesn't. It sure so, doesn't.
4: Yeah, so I I really wonder about the sentencing. I really worry about how politically motivated it will be, um, especially down where Kemp is mm. in Georgia. Um, so I'm I'll wait. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm sure
0: that I'm sure the state in which they all still do the tomahawk chop. Uh, I'm sure these guys.
4: <laughs> exactly. I'm sure
0: what well, these guys will get firm life sentences with no chance of parole. I mean, what are they? What are the odds? They were doing just,
4: it at the Trump rally. Yeah. I was like, what? What world am I living in? I anyway, I know what world
0: I'm in. I know we do. We do know. I hope you. I hope you have a great weekend, and let's talk next week. You too. All right, we've talked about some of what we know um, on the coverage in the last, I'd say, eighteen, nineteen hours since a lot of coverage began about this. Potentially uh, spreading South African variant. We'll see what the federal government does today. There's a meeting in Geneva, Switzerland, right now. Can I give you a brilliant tweet? Helen Lewis of the Atlantic uh, put this out there, and uh, and this is what will happen, right? People will pitch their tents, and they'll um, you know they'll have an opinion on this, and opinions are allowed, and proper discourse is allowed, and conversation. It's all encouraging. It's all encourage. You gotta log off at a certain point, but it's all encouraging. And she writes this. One thing I am trying to bear in mind when weighing up how much to panic over the new variant, I bet that stories about the pandemic restarting, the pandemic restarting in quotes, or vaccine escape and vaccine escapes in quotes, get clicked on like crazy. I'm not saying new isn't serious, just that there's a big incentive to hype it. You got it. You got it. John Byrne Murdoch, who we've had on, who's a fantastic statistician uh, in the uh, in the UK, writes for the Financial Times. He's been on a couple of times. He's been awesome. He writes, yeah, absolutely. As you say, I think it's just about waiting to hear from the right people on these questions and ignoring the noise in the meantime. Now, we've got a show to do until nine o'clock. I can't control a damn thing that happens um, in the media after nine o'clock. All I can do is this. But John Byrne Murdoch writes, check back on the Monday at the very earliest would be my advice. We don't want you to do that. Uh, Not just yet. Ryan Imgren, biostatistician, uh, joins me right now. We got a ton to get to. What are your observations of this? And you've watched, you're a media vet now. You've watched media coverage of this. I don't know that this is cause for alarm or cause for panic, but but we sure have to be practical. We sure have to listen to the smart people and get their answers and their theories because we were worried at first about the UK variant. That didn't turn into much. Delta, maybe we were under-worried because the UK variant underperformed and we should have been more worried about Delta. We don't have a clue where this will go over the next couple of weeks.
5: No, and I mean, really, all that we know right now is from a microbiological standpoint, there's some bad aspects to what we have here. We Mm -hmm. don't know, though, what it means in terms of, is it going to take over from any other variant? And that's really the big thing. Once this, you know, if we start to see numbers of this that are more than the like Delta variant, then you get worried. But I think worldwide now we have less than 100 cases. So it's good that we caught it early, but we really and like truly do not know a lot about it.
0: I could. I, I mentioned earlier. I could find, and I, and I did, uh, late last night, uh, a lot of deeply concerning articles about the UK variant that was deemed the Alpha variant. But uh, but but again, it, it had a little bit of fizzle to it. So I see headlines. I see panic used by headlines. Alarmed, some people are using. I just think this is this is practical. This is getting extra life insurance. This is getting travel insurance when you go on a trip. That's not being alarmed. They don't warn you on the plane. Hey, we may run out of fuel or the plane may crash or, or you may have a really bad flight. But you know that it's an option. We know this could get bad. But I don't think you we change anything about our day to day routine today, tomorrow or the next day about it.
5: And that's it. And I think we saw with the uh, the Delta variant as well, that once we were actually concerned about it, and we started to look for it here in Ontario, it was already here. And I think we'd find the exact same thing with this variant too. If it's as bad as we actually think that it is, once we start to really, really look for it, we're going to find it if it's as bad as it actually is.
0: Ryan Ingram, our guest biostatistician on Toronto today he visits with us every Friday at 7 30 and we're always thankful for his insight and time let me ask you about uh I know you you've dug in and and you've been right to do so about uh, inadequate PPE about elements of education that um that that weren't planned out properly I, I I've had my criticism of the tDSB for many many things this year I think they get this right uh they are announcing a mandate uh, that says if you're 12 plus when and everybody in high school is and you want to play extracurricular sports, you've got to have proof of vaccination. Ryan, your uh, municipality in Sudbury adopted this. We've all been dealing with this. My kid's soccer team has this. This just makes sense. Maybe it's a little late, but I think we should praise them for getting there in the first place.
5: Yeah, I think this is something which is absolutely fantastic. It both allows sports to happen and it allows sports to happen in in a very safe environment. And it's actually kind of funny because if you think about it, in schools that have been allowed to have permits in other areas and they have been having outside groups come in, those outside groups had to prove vaccination status, but then the students in the school that were doing those activities did not have to. And we've seen that in some areas already where, uh, school-wise where they had like, extracurriculars wide open, but they did not have a vaccine mandate for their students, that numbers are getting absolutely out of control.
0: Now, knowing what we know, you and I have talked about this before with kids participating in winter sports, um, everything's practically unless you're cross country skiing or downhill skiing, almost everything's moved inside. So I'd ask about um, whether there's movement um, for you on what you believe is is for basketball, what's okay for swimming, um, hockey, et cetera, et cetera. Is it simply it? Listen, if, if there's not 12 plus proof, if they can't prove every adult in the venue is vaccinated, then is not is not safe.
5: Yeah, I've already signed up my son for basketball, um, for indoor basketball, um, even when there wasn't an actual vaccine mandate, because I knew that we'd be traveling to some areas that had vaccine mandates. Now, with that being said, I mean, I guess my the concern would be a close contact sport like basketball in the under 12 population. Um, I think that it's something which is going to lead to a whole bunch of outbreaks. It's just the inherent nature of that sport, specifically how, you know, it from a like legal standpoint in like basketball, you have to closely guard your player within six feet. So you're in extremely close contact. You're not always watching the same player. Um, It's certainly one of the riskier sports. And for the, the under 12 population um, you know, that's a sport that's going to be really, really tricky to get restarted in a safe manner.
0: Although you've watched Russell Westbrook play defense some nights, Ryan, he doesn't guard (laughs) anybody. Come on. No, it's it's, it's not (laughs) mandatory. If you can score like Russ, it's not mandated. (laughs) (laughs) He's not in six feet. No, he's not. (laughs) And he's not. Yeah, he's not playing in in our local uh, high school, uh, high school leagues as well. Um, the, the, the booster campaign, would you adapt boosters on a sliding scale? Um, would you adapt boosters for people who are 45 plus 50 plus right now? I I've heard people complain. I don't think there's enough awareness about the booster campaign. Goodness knows there is for kids and I'm not knocking that they're letting people know, Hey, get your five to 11 year olds vaccinated. It's there for you. But do we, do we need to do more to sort of shout out the booster campaign and slide that age number down as well?
5: We certainly do. I think it's something which is an easy win in those small to midtown areas, um, which seem to be which seem to be getting out of control now with cases. Um, there's about eight areas throughout Ontario, once again, small to mid-sized cities that have a lot of COVID cases going on. What it would be a really really nice idea to see would be the Ontario government say, you know what, We're, we are going to prioritize boosters for this area, and I think it's a double win because first off. When you prioritize boosters for that area you're going to inevitably stop some of those cases from happening you're also going to sell it to areas where you have not prioritized those boosters because we can see what happens in those areas so i think it's you know something that would really really highlight how effective these like boosters actually are um, and it's something that i would certainly like to see happen
0: Ryan Imgren, our guest biostatistician. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm i in a great mood. It's Friday, but I did get a little irritated a couple days ago with um, the idea of of Dr. Uni stating that uh, <laughs> plexiglass barriers can cause more harm than good. My God, I think you and I talked about plexiglass barriers maybe even in the summer or at the start of September. I'm not upset that that messaging is getting there now, but you've been frustrated that the science table you know, barely acknowledged COVID is airborne. So look, there, there's been so many voices. Voices. We've all we've all tried to put the the jigsaw puzzle pieces together at different times. We've been right about some things. We've we've looked to others for guidance on some other things, but I'm I'm disappointed. It takes so long. And then and then Dr. Uni says, and people rush, oh my God, oh my God, these plexiglass people have been telling you about the plexiglass barriers that they might do more harm than good for months, and and you didn't listen.
5: Yeah, and that's it. I mean, I have been uh, advising retail companies since last December that they should not be installing these plexiglass barriers it's not a good idea in fact it's you know something which may actually lead to harm and there's a whole bunch of you know really really cool studies that even show you know sitting on like buses where you sit within an actual taxi um you know even inside of an actual classroom depending on how the the classroom is actually staggered those plexiglass barriers they can help in some situations and they can hurt in 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 some situations. This is not research that we saw one or two weeks ago. This is research from last year. We knew this since last year. And yet, what do we see going up everywhere? We see these plexiglass barriers. So yeah, I'd be really irritated if I was a company right now who invested literally tens of thousands of dollars into these plexiglass barriers because nobody stood up and said, don't do it. It's not a good idea. In fact, it may actually be more harmful than it is helpful.
0: I know you saw uh, the the photo last night, and I don't. Yeah, I I don't want to dig too deep, but we talk about messaging on uh, uh, on from public health officials from politicians. Um, And John Tory, the mayor of Toronto, walks on stage without a mask. Uh, Gordon Lightfoot, who's playing his, it's his show. It's not John Tory's show. Gordon Lightfoot's show is 83. He's got a mask on. So a 67-year-old man walks right up to, gives basically a hug to an 83-year-old man. The 67-year-old's not wearing a mask. And I'm cool with the show. I'm cool that everybody there is fully vaccinated. I don't want those shows not to happen, Ryan. But I'm just like, oh, my God, the messaging. And and he wears a mask everywhere, outdoors indoor it doesn't matter and and he probably over wears the mask and makes people think well I gotta wear a mask outside the mayor's doing it I struggle with that messaging Ryan what's your thought on it
5: yeah I mean we feel the exact same way I think regarding this because we know that when it comes to COVID-19 it. disproportionately affects the older population. And we really need to acknowledge what a negative impact this has on the older population. And what may be fine to do around your 30-year-old neighbor is not fine to do around your 80-year-old neighbor. Um, You know, you just need to acknowledge that, especially when you're in one of these public health spots where, you know, like people see what you do, where the cameras are out. Where you know this is gonna be an actual publicity thing. And then all of a sudden, we see you giving this award to someone. You don't have a mask on, someone else does. I mean, that was, you know, the optics of that were absolutely terrible.
0: Ryan, thanks very much for doing what you do. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Imgrin. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. We'll talk next week. See you. Take care. So we saw this story, and uh, I like this company. I, I think people were, when we were planning on this segment, people uh, were, you know, will be surprised to know. I'm a big fan of Lush, not the not the shoegazing band from the mid 90s that uh, opened up Lollapalooza in 1992, but the company that makes all those bath bombs. There's this ocean salt stuff. I don't want to wash my face with anything else. It's amazing. There's something called Dream Cream. It's not what you think, but it's fantastic. It's got a little oat milk in it. Anyway, anyway. I'm a big Lush fan. They've got 900 stores worldwide. Uh, I know where the closest three are to my house, but, but the company said this week, and we talked about some of the harmful studies, and obviously the Facebook whistleblower had a big influence on this. Um, the the uh, previous uh, Facebook executive that went in front of Congress, Lush is out on social media. They're out on Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Will they be the only company? They say that uh, it's to draw attention as to the mental health of these platforms. So that's a really interesting start. You wonder if it could start a bit of a uh, a bit of a sea change the other way. Mohit Rajans is writer and media consultant at ThinkStart.ca. We love when he visits with us uh, for a few minutes in the morning. Uh, Mohit, it's great to have you on. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. So what was your uh, uh, what was your take on that when uh, when a big company, big global company like Lush um, decides enough's enough? Will others? It's hard to see the big ones, right? It's hard to see the Cokes and the American Expresses following suit, but it's something, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's definitely something. It's good. It's a good move because we're talking about it. But I kind of feel like this is the next iteration of internet marketing that we're heading into, which is the whole idea that, yeah, let's engage with our customers and be present, but not necessarily make that the driving force in which people hear about us. And so what's happening is kind of interesting if you think about it. Lush is getting way more out of this. Through the news story, then they're actually getting as being one of the top tier social media running companies out there. So I, like you, agree that Lush is getting—you know—is uh, is in the business of making great products and products that stand out because of word of mouth. Do I think they're going to be able to survive off of social media though? No.
0: Yeah, it's you're seeing this as well, to to some extent with Chapman's ice cream, which, you know, they may not have asked for the initial attention when they decided to give a raise out to uh, people who'd gotten vaccinated and and they were obviously storing covid vaccines. So both those check big marks for people uh, who say, well, that's doing the right thing. Um, But they don't mind. It might have been accidental attention, but once it starts, um, you feel pretty emboldened uh, and they don't mind. I'm sure sales have absolutely skyrocketed the last couple of weeks for them.
2: Right. And it's interesting you say that, right? Because then you decipher between two different things. One is referred to as search uh, search engine optimization and one is re- referred to as search engine monetization, SEO mm-hmm. versus SEM. So the monetary part has actually benefited for them because more people have gone to their website to look for products. But you mentioned something interesting about Chapman's. Recently, just last night, my wife started a conversation with me about it and, you know, about either way. And the conversation that we had, she couldn't articulate why she wanted to show support um, for certain things. And I was like, I thought to myself, this is the other problem we're going to get into, which is people are going to hear flippantly that Lush did something good or bad or whatever mm-hmm. and not necessarily understand what the real driving point is. And the mental health side that they're trying to bring attention to is unfortunately the secondary part of the conversation in many cases. Thank
0: <sniffs> Will do you see a, a, a way though that companies will I, I've seen a couple ads you probably have on television for for meta because that's what Facebook is now is meta and you're like you shrug your shoulders and you're like okay well they're they're definitely pushing hard and they've got the marketing uh <laughs> they've got millions of dollars to spend in marketing to do it they could buy all the Super Bowl ads if you want uh, in early February and and just shrug their shoulders and keep making money but they are trying very hard to separate themselves from the name Facebook right now and uh, and and making no bones about it that this is who they want to be now.
2: You know, it's interesting too, though, Greg, if you think about it, a company like Facebook doesn't make money without companies like Lush. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I find interesting about this, let me tell you a little bit of inside baseball here. If you were, wait, let's say you're, you're Greg's t-shirts, okay? And you want to target market via uh, via meta slash Facebook slash Twitter, any of these companies. If you look at the tools back there for you to target specifically the type of audience you want to get to, Companies are using this on a daily basis, so you're also avoiding target marketing as well. There's a lot of internal tools that companies use in all of these programs that would make you question: Why are you making those marketing decisions? And is really is the platform at fault, or is the fact that you're making these decisions not to target certain markets the bigger problem here? There's a you know strategy needs to change right now, Greg. It's not you know you can put anybody on a stage at at um, the Molson Amphitheater, and it depends on who's performing for you to understand. If you'll be offended or not
0: yeah uh yeah exactly that mohit rajan's uh, joining us a uh, writer and media consultant at thinkstart.ca do you think that the, the, the temperature has cooled enough that companies will say, OK, everything's calmed down? We could advertise with Meta. We could be all of our Instagram. That's not going to affect our bottom line. The public's just the public's got so much to worry about. We're still in covid times. We're still, you know, getting our economy back. They're not going to be, um, you know, we're not going to face negative feedback and we're not going to see our bottom line affected. Or is that still, you know, is is Meta still something that companies are going to say? No, thanks. Anywhere but there.
2: Well, I don't even think it's it's just a problem with Meta. I think what's going to end up happening is companies are going to have to make a proactive approach as to what they're using these platforms for. So, for example, if you're a beauty brand, you have to rethink the way you're connecting with your audiences. You can't just exploit, uh, you know, pretty faces or 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 in some cases, you know, when they go through massive diversity campaigns for a month, and you think to yourself, "Oh, that's great for a month." Or you've you've joined uh, Movember for a month. I think the consistency is what we're going to require from companies in order to feel like we can stay connected. And then it'll really be up to us whether we think we're going to engage with a company or not on Twitter. You know, what does KFC get or Wendy's get out of their Twitter interaction? That's right. Other than, you know, vi- nobody goes and buys a sandwich as a result of their wonderful Twitter Anecdote. So I think we need to rethink a little bit the way we have a strategic approach and understand that not a, one big swath doesn't incorporate every piece of audience when it comes to social media. We are individuals and we have to make sure that we cater to we're catered to as individuals in this process.
0: It's amazing you point that out, Mohit, because I think you know we, we do this all the time. I can tell you it all happens all the time with sports announcers. Oh, this guy's calling that game, this guy's calling this game. Doesn't you it might affect your enjoyment level? It probably doesn't change one minute of how much you watch. If Chelsea Man United's on Sunday, you don't care who the announcers are. If you're interested in the game, you're watching the match, plain and simple. And, and as you point out, with marketing, it's the same thing. You want the product, you'll find it.
2: Greg, you mentioning those great words about the products that you love does way more for this company than uh, you know a debate about whether they're going to benefit or not benefit from being on social media. So I think we are at a point now where we're feeling a little bit more mature about the tools that we're using. And we have to make sure that when people talk about supporting mental health and other initiatives, that they're held accountable yeah. to it as well.
0: I wish you and I had more time to talk about their Black Rose uh, bath bombs, but that'll have to wait for another day. I don't know if you prefer the Black Rose or Diamond Dust, and, and obviously we've never been in the same room to find out, but either way... You know, we can leave it for another show. I think I I'll think. just
2: expect it in my, in my stocking this year <laughs> for Christmas. Just,
0: There's one called yeah. Snow Fairy Lights. I'm a little hesitant on that one. I'm not sure that's going to quite. You know, I'm a masculine man. I uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's pink, sweet, and sparkly. But so so are I, a lot of things. Moyet. I don't. I know. would
2: press. I would press I, like on that one. Would you though, <laughs> for sure?
0: <laughs> Maybe not retweet, but like. It's good enough. Have Have a great weekend. It's great having you on. Take care. Have a great one. Uh, that was a great segment. Uh, Mohit Rajan's a uh, writer and media consultant at thinkstart.ca. Check him out at thinkstart.ca. Uh, we say good morning to uh, Shiba Siddiqui. Do you got those, you got that Friday feelings? I feel like Friday waking up this morning. Are you all set I, for the weekend already? I am
1: all set. Don't I am mail this in. in.
0: Don't mail. I'm not, there's no mail. There's no stamp licking. You know that, right? <laughs> we <laughs> no, hustle, we hustle this right to nine o'clock. You, me, Loretta, know and do. Dave. Okay. I know.
1: Working hard, I know you. are gonna. <laughs> I, I've seen you lose it on us, so you know all, the, all the <laughs> my best behavior.
0: It's probably the opposite way around, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> and I and I I think this is gonna be real and you know a really interesting. I wouldn't say a day of coverage, but I think it's it's a really interesting weekend to sort of not necessarily disconnect. Uh, what what did Gwyneth Paltrow call it? Decouple. What's what's that Conscious the,
1: Uncoupling. Yeah,
0: I don't don't do a conscious uncoupling from <laughs> from the news. Not that a lot of our listeners have flights to Johannesburg booked. Um uh, But I'm not I'm not worried. I, I, I think this is something that you're we You're never
1: worried though. That's not No, that's the issue not here. true.
0: That's not true. I'm panicked. A year ago at this time, I didn't love sending my kids back to school. I'm all this confidence has come post post-vaccination it really has it really but has.
1: look what's happening what is look, happening I, I don't know if you've seen the mclean's magazine article that was released i think is this about night. a poll
0: because you know how i feel about polls
1: this is about a possible fifth wave yeah based I, on what's happening in europe and now and and how regardless of vaccination there is numbers are just sky high and prepare for it to come this mclean's magazine says this that there is a seven to eight out of ten Chance that this is we're getting a fifth wave in North America in Canada.
0: Well, what? But the good, but the fair question is, what does that mean? Is this about cases? Because I agree with you, vaccinations are probably not going to prevent cases because we're out and about and here and there and everywhere. The vaccinations are meant to prevent the bad outcomes. I'm seeing these countries with mask mandates and cases sure, are skyrocketing. So, so um I don't
1: I, want COVID. I don't want, nobody COVID. does. I don't want it in my, I don't care. Like I'm vaccinated. I just, I don't want to get it. And if it's coming for me, I'm going to get it. If there's, I mean, if it's seven to 8% chance or seven to eight out of 10% chance, then or look at my numbers. <laughs> that's you, how flustered you, I am. You
0: don't know that you haven't had it already.
1: Yes. That's and it true. had no I've, impact on you. I've thought of that as well.
0: Sure yes. you have. You're strong. You're 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 young. But didn't my kids you're get va- it? They could have. What if it? They'll have less of a bad outcome than you.
1: I feel like something would show up—a cough, a fever, like a mild something mild. Like they'd be out of sorts in some way. Nothing I, major, nothing serious, but if, some way. If
0: I told, if I said to you, if I said to you, let's take a testing kit. Let's take the PCR test to your kids' elementary school today. And I said, what percentage of kids do you think would pop positive with the test? Because most parents aren't testing kids unless their kids are sick. Right. So we're mo- yes. we're mostly only testing p- people and kids with symptoms. And I agree with you. What, what we shouldn't do is pass off. Well, that's just a cold. That's just although kids get that kids get colds and coughs and this and that. You're in hockey rinks now. Again, you weren't last year at this time. Um, kids are, are gathering more. They're having sleepovers more. They're going to movies more um i like we're we're out there and about more so we're bound to have a little more of a flu season than we did last year the question is what what's the flu and and where would kids pop positive but i would bet you i i'm gonna ask that for ryan aimgren in an hour and i think i think right. he'd probably say probably eight to ten percent of kids would would test positive but no one's sick doesn't mean he can't right. get sick
1: I, and i have no doubt there are cases make at my kids school and just there are no symptoms on it, but I mean, it's not spreading like wildfire so far.
0: No, this is it's going to be a really interesting uh, day in and next 48 hours. And I bet you we do close. We close off South Africa to travel. And that's not. I do
1: think so. Yeah. I think England has already done that. I England's
0: already morning. done it. Japan and yes. Singapore did as well. We got a few minutes here. We saw this story and you and I talked about it. The Canadian Association of Journalists. Uh, found um, that we're not very um, our business. I know. Shock. <laughs> you're going to be shocked, not odd, but shocked. This is just the shock, not the odd. Shocked and alarmed, but we're not. That um, that journalism in Canada is not terribly um, diverse. The, the takeaways are, what? yeah, I know. No. I hate to I hate to break the no back, really. Eight and ten newsrooms have no black or indigenous journalists. 81.9 percent of all supervisors identified as white um half of all newsrooms surveyed exclusively employ white journalists two of three two-thirds of outlets have no asian staff there's a lot of these stats and so a tremendous even if you see a face and you go well that's a non-white face on television or you think you hear somebody in the radio um it's 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 better than it was it's nowhere near where it should be is the best sentence i could give it right
1: Okay, so first of all, this is the first time we've had these statistics like this in Canada. So kudos to the Canadian Association of Journalists for doing this. Um, and you're right. Have you ever? You've been in the business for decades. Have hey, you ever take it had, easy. Have you ever had a non-white supervisor or boss?
0: Um, have I? Uh, no.
1: Me neither. I've been this for 15 years, and it's funny because I've only worked
0: at three places. Three, three in your companies. Three news. Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. fine. In your industry, have you seen a non-white
0: Oh, absolutely. Or, yeah, I have. Or,
1: or really? I have never. You have any place that I've worked. I've worked at actually three as well, three different organizations in this industry, and I have never.
0: Okay. My, of, and my- I've
1: had female, female white bosses, but I've never had non-white uh, supervisors, managers, executive leadership. Show me some executive leadership that isn't primarily male and white. And with a couple of white females thrown in, I've
0: had a female pro. I've only had four program directors. One was female. I've had my program director's boss be female twice out of four or five times. Uh, But you're you're right. It's uh, it's a uh, it's the lighter skin tone. I give you that. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about that.
1: I mean, how are we in 2021? And there are only there eight out of ten organizations have no black or indigenous journalists. What does that tell it, you? I feel like, go ahead. No, I'm going to
0: ask it. Do you think to some extent, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy? And here's what I mean by this. There's problems. There's problems and there's things we have to fix, but here's what I'd say. This is a little like, I've always get the question. You can imagine. I get the question, Brady, why are there, why aren't there more women in sports radio? You can imagine I would get that right in, in Detroit and in Toronto. And when I taught broadcast school, I said, who's interested in sports radio and, and, no women put up their hands maybe one or two but and that's changing and who and and when i say who's interested in television or talk radio or features or things like that so I, I i i think there's an element a small element of of chicken and egg in all newsrooms but the problem is if someone thinks i'm a person of color I'll feel like a fish out of water there. I won't feel welcome. That's we got to exactly, change yeah. that. So we got to change that. But but, that but then changing. they don't apply. They don't apply. So that so the cycle keeps going. There no, is that element. No, I think that is changing. No, is changing. No, It is changing a bit, a bit, but not much.
1: They one hundred percent apply. Why? How do I know this? Because I have so many peers and so many colleagues who have applied and don't even get acknowledged for it. I, I that that's so that's first of all that's one thing. Secondly. You're comparing this to, let's say, journalism classrooms from a decade ago. If you look at those classrooms now, they're completely different. They look completely different. And these kids are seeing people that look like them in these roles, right? I mean, look at, look at Janela Massa. Look at all of these people that they're finally starting to see.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: That look like them. And they're thinking, hey, if that person can do it, I can do it. So these classrooms are completely different now. But well, let's see if they can actually translate to being in upper in management as supervisors, as executives. Let's see if but that. But don't
0: happens. they look more like they look more like Candace Daniel, our our uh, our colleague who does uh, who does the mornings uh, with with Anthony Robart? They look more like Farah Nasser now. They mo- well, so look more like Camille Car- Caramalli. Well, you can
1: say black and brown. So I yes, can, but- <laughs> yes, it, it, sure, but that's because they're finding people that look like them doing these jobs. It took forever to get there, though.
0: But it's but okay. So I, when I
1: told my parents, back let's say when I when I was a teenager, I want to be a journalist. My mother just said, "Oh no, that's not that's not going to happen. They won't hire someone that looks like you." And I was just like, I thought, really? And I, and I looked on TV. There was nobody. There was Monica Deol. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember Monica Ab- from
0: Electric Circus? Dave Bradley yes. and I were on Electric she, Circus once again, not only as a couple, but we were there. Like Dave on Shaking on Canadian his head. Dave's like, Don't 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 uh, Dave right? Don't unleash that footage. You and I there, Electric Circus on a Friday night master T was there like uh, uh from extendedix like I knew I knew all the much music people come on
5: yeah I'd be the guy standing in the corner doing the scratch and peck you know <laughs> scratching my foot and pecking my face because that's how I dance
0: yeah exactly so I, I get it I hope you tell your mom every week that she was wrong not that we want to you know we should respect our elders. Well, I tell well, my parents I, all the time when they're wrong
1: I started off my career in television so I think at that point she sort of checked herself and said okay things are changing
0: mm, yeah it's interesting I like I, I wanna I want to flesh the conversation out a little more later in the show. I don't want it to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I worry sometimes, sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Thanks so much for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. It was great uh, having you along to listen. If uh, you don't mind sharing it with a friend, pass it along, pass it down the road. We're getting bigger numbers. We see that and you're taking to the show, gravitating towards it. And we're really appreciative of that. You can find us always wherever you get podcasts. Have yourself a great weekend. We're back with a live show as we uh, get a lot closer to December, last month of the year. I'm willing to put 21 behind us. I'm willing to do that. We'll talk uh, on Monday.